Hello there today, um, I want to look at the book of Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, concentrating on verses 12 to 23, so that's Exodus 33 verses 12 to 23, and it reads this. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou, that, see thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider this nation as thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein Shall it be known, here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It is not in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people from all the people that are upon the, on the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, and there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while the, my glory passeth by, that I will put thee on the cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will make, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. We come today and even as I read this passage, I'm nearly in tears, but this today is, with this passage, it's a marvellous passage of scripture, where we get a, a vivid image of the intimate, intimate relationship between God and Moses, as Moses approaches God to incede again on behalf of himself and the Hebrew people. The Israelites, have come miraculously 
out of bondage in Egypt. The hand of God destroyed their enemies and made their way clear. Then during the journey to Mount Sinai, God visibly went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them through the wilderness to assure them of his constant presence. This pillar of cloud glowed like fire in the night sky. When Moses and the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, they set up their tents and spent time there while God taught them many things. And this was where Moses went up the mountain as God commanded and was taught many things, but she was then charged with teaching the people. This is also notably where God verbally gave them in chapter 20 the Ten Commandments, which are still the foundational principles of Christian life today. God later in chapter 24 asked Moses to go up to the mountain to meet with him and to receive the commandments on tablets. While gone, the people grew anxious and impatient. They beseech Aaron to build them an idol they can worship, but he goes, but he does using their gold and jewellery brought out of Egypt. An altar was also built, and the next day the Israelites brought oxen and sheep, killing them and burning them on the, alt- on the altar before their newly created idol. They feasted and drank wine, parted, and God saw all this happening, and being filled with anger in the sight, in the sight of it, commanded Moses to get down off the mountain for the Israelites had corrupted themselves by their idol worship. This is the background to where we find ourselves today in in chapter 33. And the early verses of this chapter from verses 1 to 11 reveal a continuing dialogue between God and Moses as Moses seeks to intercede on behalf of the people and through this um, this message I want to bring out three three points um, with the presence of God in verses 14 and 18 the pleasure of God in verses 19 and 21 and the preeminence of God in verse 22 verse 22 to 23, but verse 12 begins with Moses humbly coming before God and earnestly seeking his presence with the people as they make their journey to Canaan. The abomination of the calf has angered God and in chapter 32 he has told Moses to lead the people onward but God himself won't go with them. Instead, he will send an angel to guide them. Now here, Moses asks God, Who is this angel he is going to send? And he also reminds God the position of the Hebrew people, 
when he says in verse 13, if you look down in verse 13, this nation is your people. Moses wants an assurance about who will go with them into the land. And really I think you can see here that Moses wants God to be with them as they journey on and begins this intercession by probing God about the details. In his heart, Moses is thinking, God, if this is not you coming then, we don't want to go. But he being a little more subtle in his initial approach, carefully questioning before pressing on with his request. The reply God gives in verse 14 is interesting. God answers him by saying, My presence will go with you. But Moses didn't ask God to go with them. Yet God answered as if that had been the question. You see, God knew what was in Moses' heart. This really brings our first practical application in this passage in the lives of believers today where Moses understood the importance of living in the presence of God. As we see here in verses 14 and 18. Here in Exodus, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and pleads with the Lord to remain present with them. He sees no merit in journeying on without God. Today we have one intercessor between us and God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his intimate relationship with him that we can live daily in the presence of God. So how can we develop this relationship with God? And how does it become intimate? Many believers today want to see great signs and wonders, yet they invest little time in building up the relationship with God. How many truly know the word and have spent time in prayer and solitude focusing on seeking God's will and knowing God's ways? If you want to know more of God, we need to give more of ourselves to God, more of our time and more of our devotion. We can't let worldly things consume us and steal away opportunities to draw closer to God. If we do, then we are, set, we are settling for a relationship that can't grow or mature. Now coming back to this passage, let's look again at verse, um, just look down here at 15 and 17. Just run your eyes over that these verses, which focuses on the nature and relationship between, between God and Moses and God and his people. Despite the reassurance of the previous verse in which God says he will go with him, Moses continues to press on, pleading with God to go with them. It's almost as if um, Moses hasn't heard God speak. However, I think what we 
we're really seeing is Moses becoming coming a little more bold, a little more insistent that God confirm his promise to go with them. So why is Moses so determined that God be with them? After all, God said he would send an angel with them. So why was Moses not content with an angel? Moses knew something here. He knew that in order to live in the pleasure of God, he had to be in the presence of God. And if we were to proceed to Canaan without the Lord, then there would be no pleasure in it. In our second application, um, in verses 19 to 21, this is the second application of our, oh, to our life as believers today. It's only when we live in the presence of the Lord can we truly experience the pleasure of the Lord and His peace, mercy and grace. God has been gracious towards us just as He brought the Hebrew people out of Egypt. He has brought us out of bondage, bondage we were the bondage we were in. Through Jesus Christ we have been freed. We need to ask ourselves, are we truly living in the pleasure of God? Are we experiencing His divine grace on a daily basis? If we aren't living in the presence and pleasure of God, what is our witness to the world? God's presence with the Hebrew people and their pleasure in Him set them apart as unique and special. What does it mean to live in the pleasure of the Lord? What makes us different from those who are yet without Christ in their lives? There is one fundamental distinction between the Hebrew people of the Old Testament and believers today, and that is the Holy Spirit. The presence of God indwells us from in the form of the, the Spirit from the moment we first believe. However, the Spirit of God doesn't force Himself upon us, and we can quench the Spirit if we don't nurture the relationship and allow Him the freedom to guide us daily as we seek to do God's will. And this is how we move forward to living in the pleasure of God as we learn more about Him and about His Word. We become immersed in the things which please God and this in turn leads us to living in the pleasure of God. And as we develop a close relationship with God, we become attuned to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. We become more sensitive to His guidance and we feel His displeasure when we act in ways which are displeasing, 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 displeasing to God. When we live in the pleasure of God, we begin to reflect God's glory to the world and this sets us apart. 
we have no light, no glory of our own, but we reflect His glory. Pastor Joe Faught of Calvary Chapel uses this lovely um, uh, illustration, and I'm going to share share it with you. And it's a superb picture of how we reflect God's glory. So listen carefully. This is what Joe M. Fox um, said. Moses didn't have his own light. He was reflecting the light that he had been in. It's like the moon. When the moon is in its proper position and you look at a full moon, it's beautiful. But it doesn't have its own fuel tank or battery power to make it glow. It's reflecting the light of the sun. And the only time it fails to do, do that is when the world comes between the sun and the moon. When the world comes between you and I and Jesus Christ, there is an eclipse and we don't reflect the light. We are made to reflect. That's the end of quote. For us to live in the light of the, the Lord and in His pleasure, it's not just beneficial to us, but to those around us who notice the Lord reflected in us. If we have a heart for the lost, we must desire a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord. Otherwise, the light we reflect will be merely flickering, a flickering candle when it when in fact it should be like the full and beautiful moon as it reflects the sun. We can't allow the world to stand between us and God. In a day and age where many things would demand our time and keep us from experiencing solitude with God, we must be vigilant and devoting to God what he, re- right, what he rightly deserves. We will then experience the glow of knowing him, and this will be the reflection others will see. And this leads us to our last final pleading of Moses, and it's the, it's the boldest statement so far, where Moses asked to see the, the glory of God in our Final um, verses in 22 and 23 with the preeminence of God. He is asking to see the Lord in all his form, face to face. This is really asking the ultimate reassurance. We are, it's like us asking for a neon light that points us in the right direction. When we are praying over a difficult situation or or decision, we want the answer to be clear and unambiguous, leaving us without a shadow of doubt. We want rock-solid, indisputable confirmation. And this leads us to our third point, the preeminence of God. That is, the divine and indisputable 
superiority of God over all things. When he, when we come to the third pleading of Moses, we see that God clearly sets the boundaries. God reminds Moses that man can observe his face and live, but yet he shows Moses enough of himself to allow Moses to feel settled in his mind that God is with him. There are some people today who simply can't believe in a divine God. They want that neon sign that points to God, but they want to see him face to face before they'll believe. But just like with Moses, God said, no, he will show glimpses, reveal parts, but not the whole. God isn't going to be coerced or blackmailed in any way by man. He made this clear in Romans 1 verse 20. For the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, that, so that they are without excuse. God is not a magician or a genie who can, who will grant every wish. He isn't at her beck and call or will be manipulated by man. How often, especially today, with such a great emphasis on the health and wealth, prosperity gospel, do we hear men making demands of God in the most irreverent and disrespectful way? How many times have we made promises to God in our times of prayer, hoping that we'll be able to move the hand of God. God isn't interested in empty promises, and he knows the heart of man better than we know ourselves. We know of the presence and pleasure and the preeminence of God, not through his revealing himself to us in a visible, tangible form, but through obedience to his word. Any man who waits to see God from, waits to see God before beginning his journey of faith will never find faith in the one true God because he can't begin to see God until you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. As professing believers, we have begun a journey. How far along the road we travel, it's up to us. We must decide whether we're going to be content with standing still or are going to live in a total obedience to him and his word, grown daily in the knowledge of his grace, mercy and love. I do pray that as you Go from here today, we will find time to be alone with God, to reflect on our relationship with Him and ask Him to help us to live an 
total submission to His Word, resting in His presence, living in His pleasure, and acknowledging His preeminence. Amen.